Hey, Helen Hong. Hey, J. Keith Ben Stratton. I love how we call each other by our full names whenever we begin an episode. <laughs> it's the most natural thing in the world. <laughs> well, Helen, this week's episode is another edition of our Best Of, where we put together some of the best segments of our earlier shows around a specific theme. And this time, it's a deep dive into the best trivia segments about TV shows. And it features something we haven't heard in a long time, live audiences. Oh, oh remember, remember those? those? Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah. In this year of quarantine, we've all been watching a bunch of shows in our abundance of alone time. So hopefully hearing some of our past guests discuss some of their favorites will inspire your next streaming binge. What have you been watching uh, in your quarantine TV time? I've been watching WandaVision, which is sure. excellent. There's a new dog training series on Netflix. <laughs> of course it's there like, is. It's like the Caesar Milan but of Netflix and he's, okay. and he's from Oakland, like the inner city Oakland area. And oh, ooh, it's good. Oh, that's great. I have been watching The Amazing Race so much so that I have finished every season of The American Amazing Race. What? I have watched three seasons of The Australian Amazing Race, two seasons of The Canadian Amazing Race, and I've become so desperate that my girlfriend and I are now on season two of Amazing Race Asia, which for some reason is in English, which worked out great for us. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of Amazing Race. Yeah, well, it's a, it's an amazing time. <laughs> uh, well, let's get started with someone who's been on our show as a guest and as a guest co-host, your friend and mine, comedian Cristela Alonso. She took on fellow comedian Maz Jabrani by answering questions about her love of the Golden Girls. Here we go with our first question about the Golden Girls for Cristela Alonso. Cristela, number one, Dorothy often threatened to send her mother Sophia back to the retirement home that had burned down. What was the name of the retirement home? Shady Pines. Helen. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Easy peasy. I, I feel like we've insulted you with that question, and I apologize. You guys, like, like, not. I'm not even kidding. My Wi-Fi network is called Shady Pines Retirement Home. <laughs> Let's see if this works. And what's the password? <laughs> <laughs> Here's no question number two. Question number two. On what network did the Golden Girls originally run? NBC on Saturday nights, 8 o'clock. Wow. Ellen? <laughs> so correct. That is correct. And that's funny. I, if we didn't ask you the network question, I was going to ask you the time slot or the date, and you got them all. So well done. Absolutely. Number three. In the series finale, one of the main characters gets married and moves to Georgia. Which one? Dorothy. She marries Blanche's uncle. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> wow. Blanche's uncle played by Leslie Nielsen. Absolutely. All right, you are powering through these. So you go, here's number four. I think your your expert is pee, peeing in their pants right now. <laughs> like, I'm just going those everything. I don't know. The expert might be Betty White. <laughs> Let's not get our hopes up. Uh, number four. All four principal actors won Emmy Awards during the run of the show, but only one of them did not win for acting in a leading role. Which one? Oh, that's a hard one. I am going to say... I'm going to say Estelle Getty. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Four yes. for four. The spirit of Estelle yeah. is running through right. me. She won. She actually won for supporting the same year that B. Arthur won for lead. Oh, that's unfair. <laughs> it kind of is unfair. It All is of our un fun facts are fun or unfair. It's, four, it's the Why? four of them. Can you imagine it's, like it's an ensemble? It, imagine like Sex in the City. Yeah. Oh. Right. And do you want to take imagine? her Emmy away? You want no. They should have. They. It's so weird that. They, how do you pick that she's gonna be the supporting actor? Yeah. You know, I like kind of I don't know. We, we, we. You know, she's fine. She, she's. She's. She's fine. She's doing well now. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're, we don't have to worry. She's. She's. She's eternally resting. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> With cake. With All right. Here. Uh, here's your chance to go five for five. Rose often told tales of her beloved hometown back in Saint Olaf. 
Many times she mentions festivals and holiday celebrations there. Which one of the following was not a real St. Olaf event? The crowning of the princess pig, the festival of the dancing sturgeons, the earmuff parade, or the day of the wheat? The earmuff one. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Five for five for Stella Alonso. Incredible. This is my way of saying that I'm lonely. <laughs> someone be my friend, someone date me. Oh. <laughs> so uh, fun fact, there actually is an earmuff parade in real life in Farmington, Maine. Oh. Right? Is that unfair as well? Is that somehow not uh, acceptable? No, I like it. All right. Those now, you have nainers. done very, very well, but here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. Okay. It's time for your cluster fact. Dun, dun, dun. This question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. You may know this right away. You may need to think on it. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Okay. Here we go. Successful sitcoms often spawn spin-offs, and Golden Girls was no exception. It was, however, a rare case where a spin-off spawned its own spin-off. For up to three points, what were the two spin-offs from the Golden Girls, and what was the spin-off from one of those spin-offs? Uh, the spin-offs led into, uh, if you can count it, Golden Palace and Emptiness, and Emptiness spawned nurses. All right, we're going to take a note of those answers. <laughs> <laughs> but we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. <laughs> Helen, who do we have? Here with us tonight, we have the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Golden Girls Forever. An unauthorized look behind the lanai, Jim Colucci. Jim Colucci, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, Jim, we have your book here, Golden Girls Forever. What prompted you to write this book? Um, obsession. Okay. Uh, I was already writing about television for TV Guide and a bunch of uh, magazines, and I had always wanted to write a book about television because... As a kid in those olden days before the internet, I would consume rapidly uh, books about television, but they'd always have errors in them, and it would always seem like they were kind of done on the cheap. And so I thought, if I ever get to do a book about TV, I really want to do the obsessive fan thing where it feels like you crawl through the screen and get to look around the living room. And I couldn't believe no one had done a book on the Golden Girls. It was perfect. And were you surprised that it became such a success? The show or no, the, no, book? The, the book? No, no, the book. Um, you know, I, mean, the, I would have thought like a book about a TV show is going to have a you know a very dedicated niche audience, but to be a New York Times bestseller. Well, thank you. You know, it, it's true that books about TV shows often kind of get thrown in that back section of Barnes and Noble, and they don't get a lot of fanfare. But uh, the gold—it's the power of the Golden Girls. I knew that there is such a, a really voracious community out there, and it's interesting because even publishers didn't seem to know that when I was first making the rounds with the oh, book. Oh, they were and doubting I had to tell you. Them, they, they kind of would. I, I would find that publishers, they had a little bit of a snobbery about television. They weren't kind of up on, on what was going on kind of in pop culture. And so I just knew it was going to be a huge audience, and, and uh, I haven't been let down. <laughs> what did you learn about the show that you didn't know already when you wrote the book? There were some backstories in the show that I probably didn't know. I mean, the, uh, Coco, the, the cook yes. and the pilot, I always wondered whether he had been let go out of possibly the homophobia of the 80s oh. because it was the era where AIDS had everyone running scared and, and networks didn't want to have gay characters. But I, what I learned is that that actually is not true, that the network had commissioned the show with a gay character. They had, they had requested him. Wow. But what happened, and the reason why Estelle Getty was a, a, a supporting character technically and not a lead, is that both she and Coco were supposed to be supporting characters and not be on a regular basis. And when they filmed the pilot, Estelle, as the actor who played Coco says, he, she kind of sandbagged him in that she was so good 
And I mean, they knew from rehearsals how good she would be, but the audience went so wild when she spoke and the show ran so long that producers in looking at what they had said, well, it's obvious what we need to do here. The cook doesn't work. Estelle does. Wow. So to give her more screen time. Give her, so that they could service four characters well rather than five shabbily. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to ask you, Jim, before we get to uh, the, the topic at hand is, why does Golden Girls seem to appeal to so many gay men? Well, that's a complicated answer because there's so many things of why it appeals to everybody. But, yeah. I mean, there's superficial things like uh, gay men love kind of bitchy banter. And so they certainly mm. have that. And... I mean, who doesn't love somebody who looks fabulous at any hour of the day or night? If you look at the girls when they get up at 2 in the morning to have cheesecake, they're in full hair and makeup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they apparently sleep on their pillows just with their heads barely touching it. They don't smudge. So, I mean, there's a fantasy. There's the fantasy that you will continue to live with friends and that you'll have dates that are plentiful well into your old age. And you'll. So, I mean, there's a lot of fantasy. But I think that the main thing that is a little more deep is that Gay people, especially in, in previous generations when they were less accepted, felt that they had to create a surrogate family out of their friends, that their biological families might not be there for them, but if you choose wisely, you can have a great family. And that's what the girls did. I mean, two of them were biologically related, but they really acted like a family. Oh, that's I like, that I'm tearing up a little <laughs> I bit. So. I love that answer. Thank you for being my friend indeed. <laughs> All right, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight. Uh, you heard the question that we asked Christella. Just as a reminder, we asked Christella what were the two spinoffs that the Golden Girls spawned and what was the spinoff from that spinoff. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answers that Christella gave us. Christella said the two spinoffs of the Golden Girls were Golden Palace and Empty Nest, and Empty Nest then spun off Nurses. Was she correct? She was correct. That's wow. right. A perfect score for Costella. Of course she was. She does not need me. She knows her stuff. She really does. Very impressive. It's very cool to meet you, though, because I know the book. <laughs> why, why do you think the Golden Palace wasn't, uh, wasn't a success after the Golden Girls was? Dorothy was missing. Jim? <laughs> yes, it's so true. I mean, the, the, uh, Betty White likened it to a three-legged coffee table. Yeah. It was just, <laughs> yeah. you, you couldn't do it with one, any one of them missing. You're missing, a, you're missing part of the magic. Well, we're certainly not missing it here tonight. Jim, where can people find out more about your work? Uh, You can find uh, Golden Girls Forever on Amazon.com, your local Barnes & Noble, and, of course, your local neighborhood bookstore. (laughs) Excellent. Jim Colucci, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, I have to tell you that when Jim Newman and I created this show, we were thinking, oh, who are some of the experts that we might be able to use someday? And we immediately thought of Jim Colucci, who we know and who wrote this great book on the Golden Girls. And we thought, oh, great. Someday someone will pick Golden Girls and we'll be able to call Jim then. And it only took until episode four. That's right. When our friend Christella Alonzo was a guest on the show, and we did not know that she was obsessed with the Golden Girls and even sang the theme song in front of our audience at the live episode. It was exactly what we had envisioned when we imagined what this show would be. Pete Holmes is known for a few things in Hollywood, being very funny, putting out great podcasts, and being a big fan of the AMC series Mad Men. Yeah, that's right. As we were trying to find an expert for Pete's quiz about Mad Men, we had a number of people who had to decline our invitation, yet when they did, also said that they knew Pete was a big Mad Men buff, and we had our work cut out for us. Uh, And he really showed his... um, Buffness. His madman buffness. His madman buffness. No, he didn't right. show up in the buff. No. No. Mm-mm. Here's Pete as he began his trivia segment against author and now fellow Maximum Fun host, Annabelle Gerwich. Here we go. Questions about madman number one for Pete Holmes. Don Draper worked in an ad agency, of course, but that agency changed its name more than once. Uh-huh. Name two of the names the agency had during the series. 
Well, Sterling Cooper and Sterling Cooper Draper Price. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Sterling Cooper and Partners is the, uh, is and the then, third one. Oh, yeah. Sterling Cooper, Draper, Price, and Shaw, which is Sterling Cooper and a partner. And partners. All right. Very good. Here we go. Number two. So through those seven seasons of Mad Men, eight different actors played Don and Betty Draper's son, Bobby, but only one played their daughter. Who? What's the name of the actress? What's the name of the actor? Yeah, I'm not good at stuff like that. You do have a hint available. Yeah, but what could a hint for a name be? Unless you're just like, it rhymes with Ellie Baldgon. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't want a hint. I don't want to I think you should hint. take the hint. Really? I'll yeah. take the hint. Helen? It rhymes. <laughs> Your hints for Pete are better than my hints. It rhymes with Beer Nun Bipka. I'm going through the credits. <laughs> Maybe fast forward a little bit. Uh, Sheernan Gipka? <laughs> is it Sheernan Gipka? It is not. Annabelle, a chance to steal. I know her name starts with a K, and it, I've never you heard it so said fun. out loud. Okay. So it's like, like Voldemort. Sheernan. And the last name? It's like Kripka. Kiernan Kripka. Is it Kiernan Kripka? It is not Kiernan No, Kripka. I'm sorry. It's Kiernan Shipka. Fun fact, she started on, the, on that show when she was six years old and stayed throughout the run. All right, here we go. Number three. Pete, in season six, Pete Campbell rushes into an elevator where Bob Benton asks, how are you? Pete's answer has become an internet meme. What is the answer? Not great, Bob. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> uh, here we go, number four. Mad Men featured many imaginary ad campaigns for real-life companies, but also for fake companies. Which one of the following companies existed only in the Mad Men universe? Well, or Mad Meniverse? Uh, nah. Uh, here I we go. Like Which that one of these? You like that? I right. liked it. Here we go. Which one of these was not a real company? Butler Footwear, uh -huh. Accutron Watches, United Fruit, Glow Coat Floor Wax, or Secor Laxatives? Well, I mean, I feel like it's United Fruit, but I can't be sure. What were the first two? Butler Footwear, Accutron Watches, United Fruit, Glow Coat Floor Wax, or Secor Laxatives? Sounds so fake. Accutron sounds so fake. You still Audience have a hint, too. Yeah, you do still have a hint. Oh, I'll take the hint. All right, Helen? Butler footwear still exists. I'm going to say it's Accutron watches is fake. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. Annabelle with a chance to steal. Oh, I spelled United it out for Fruit. You. Is it United Fruit? It is not United yeah. No, I'm sorry. Secor Laxatives was the one that was made up. United Fruits. Really? Yeah, that United sounds Fruit. so real. I'm glad if you're going to be wrong, be like yeah. really wrong. Yeah. No, that was Annabelle's That's strategy. Good. <laughs> um, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your dear, dear friends who. You never are see each other. a better Mark Summer. You're Mark. <laughs> And finally, Pete, here is number five. This one might be a little tricky for you. Okay. Mad Men had a very memorable theme song, as you've demonstrated, but it was not an original composition written for the show. What was the name of the theme song? I don't know. I'm going to, I'll guess that the song is called Take Life a Little Easier. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we asked for an answer. Helen, is that correct, though? That is not correct. Not correct, but very much appreciated. Annabelle, another chance to steal. You know what the song is called. It's called Memories from Cats. Memories from Cats, Helen. <laughs> that is not correct. No, no, this was memories. hard. It was called Memories, Memories. Meow, meow. It was called that. It yeah. was in my mind. Yes. yes, in fact, it was actually called A Beautiful Mind. A Beautiful Mind oh. by an artist named RJD2. 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 The upgrade. Right. Yes. 
Uh, all right, Pete, you did pretty well with that, but now it is time for your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Ooh. Oh, I thought that was the audience. That's an audio clip. I thought you guys were just really good. Like, no, it really these... is. No, it's them. They did it? They really did that. <laughs> wow. I know. You Pete's guys mind should... is blown. Yeah, you That's should do great. sound effect work. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. One of the running jokes at the ad agency was an executive who drew a comic strip on the side. He got the last laugh, though, as in the final season of the show, he left the agency after selling the strip to a company in Japan to make it into a cartoon. For up to three points, what was the name of the character, who was the actor who played him, and what was the name of the comic strip? Alan Havey played him. That's one. Uh, it's called something, I'm gonna think out loud, it's called something like do tea or something. It's like, like it's a pun, an army pun, because it's a Beetle Bailey knockoff, and it's something like uh, Lieutenant, something like that. Ooh, those are both excellent, if they're not correct. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it was called Lieutenant, and Lieutenant. it's Alan Havey, and the character's name, I don't remember. But if you had to guess one um, for entertainment purposes? Campbell, get down to his office. <laughs> Oh, the new guy? You mean... <laughs> He's not going to last very long. Don will be back. But don't tell... <laughs> that. Sham Dilworthy. <laughs> All right, just as a reminder, Helen Sham Dilworthy, Alan Havey, and Lou Tennant. All right, we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Is it oh, Alan Havey? Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is an actor and comedian who appeared as an executive on Mad Men. It's Alan Havey. Alan Havey! Alan, 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 Alan. My old friend. John Hamm canceled, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Well, no. it is Sunday. A lot of yeah. people are having him. I didn't know I was going to be the last goddamn guy on the show. I've been here. I just finished a gig in the desert. I'm sitting back there. I go, Jesus Christ, move this show along. <laughs> Alan Havey, surly as always. Alan was on Crashing. That's right. He was yeah. on season one of Crashing, and you're, and you're phenomenal. Well, thank you, buddy. It's and, good to see you. Well, it's great to and see you. And the first time I met him was on the set. Yeah, that's right. I had heard of you and been and warned now... about you, but... <laughs> Um, when I, I was in London, I came back and I, I walked on set, me, uh, met Pete, and couldn't have been nicer. So well, we had a great time, you. and yeah. you, I do, I love saying this every time it comes up. You improvised a wealth of your lines, wealth. and we really appreciate it. He's so funny on it, season one. Alan, how did you get the gig on Mad Men? Because people probably recognize you as a, as a great touring comedian, as someone who's been on TV making a lot of comedy appearances. This nobody recognizes me as a great touring. I was trying to be nice. No, Thank uh, you. I know, <laughs> but you failed. No, no, um, but for real. No, for real. You are you are a very accomplished stand-up comedian. Thank you. We've seen you in guest spots on comedies. How did you get a recurring thing on a drama? Well, originally I went into audition for Bobby Draper. Uh, <laughs> if only it had tall. gone to a season yeah. eight. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, I auditioned in season two for the doctor that interviews Peggy after mm -hmm. she has the baby. Oh. And I didn't get it, went to a younger guy because he was supposed to be an intern. So I just bugged my manager, just get me in the goddamn door. And then uh, season six, I got in and uh, I auditioned. And when I got it, 
the, the, the script, I go, I know this guy. This is a combination of my dad and a lot of his friends from the 60s. We weren't all born in 79, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I did two episodes, and I went, wow, I've been on my favorite show. That's it. Then they called me back, and I had to re-audition. What? I had to re-audition because they were going to extend the part of Lou Avery. Lou Avery! Yeah, like you know it. <laughs> it should have been sham. Dude, I like that. Name. I said lieutenant. Maybe it was kind of no, in there. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that. Your wife's here tonight. I'm being kind. <laughs> and no, I had to re-audition because Weiner wanted to make sure I could handle more than one page of dialogue. Yeah. And now by the time season six came around, people knew that the show was a success. You had said it was already your favorite show. So what, what was it like to be on set knowing that something was, was already going to be seen and be popular and be great? Absolutely crazy happy, and I had to sign a NDA, non-disclosure agreement. I couldn't tell anyone. Right. So it was weird. I lied to everybody except for my wife, <laughs> which is very unusual. <laughs> and well, usually it's the opposite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, a couple friends, people asked me, "Hey, are you coming back season seven? Because I go, I haven't heard anything, but I was sitting on all this excitement. <gasps> wow. And you know, I just uh, I was hoping I was doing a good job. You know, because a comedian, we know if we suck because no one's laughing yeah. mm-hmm. but they, they liked my work and they kept uh, having fun with the part Judd, Judd loved it that's huh? why he was like we gotta get Alan because we were, were both obsessed with Mad Men and we knew you from that show yeah I, I heard from Judd so it, it was great to hear from a bunch of people I hadn't heard from and of course everybody you went to school with I had a a counselor. That happened when I did the Zima spots too. (laughs) It just didn't have the same, you know, it didn't go over the same way. Nobody asked for their money back. Um, (laughs) The LaCroix of booze. (laughs) (laughs) You were saying, Alan? Sorry? uh, No, I had a a high school guidance counselor. He said, What do you want to do? I said, I want to go to community college and get my degree, then go to Florida State, be a theater major and then go to New York and be an actor. And he looked at me like, you know, I told him I wanted to be a serial killer. Nobody, <laughs> this is back before. Now, if you have a kid and he wants you know, support anything you do. But uh, the same people that kind of made fun of me and discouraged me, those are the first people I heard from. Of course. Oh, wow. That was one of the lines. so f- sweet. <laughs> All right, Alan, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. Okay. Uh, you heard the question that we asked Pete. We wanted him to name the character uh, who we were talking about in Mad Men. Helen, let's remind everyone of the character <laughs> name that Pete gave us. Pete said, Sham Dilworthy. <laughs> Alan, is that correct? Almost. <laughs> no, the name of the character was Lou Avery. Was Lou Avery, of yeah. course. We asked Pete to name the actor who played him. I think by now we know, Helen, it was... Alan Havy. And Alan, who was that... Who was what? It was you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, right. that's what I'm trying to get you to say. No, I'm really tired, man. Alan, I just can I ask you a question? When you went off to go to Japan in the show, right? Um, I had a, I was, I, I thought that was like a little bit of like, I don't want to say jumping the shark, but I thought, really? Is this really going to, did you have a, like, that was like supposed to be, it's not giving me a good look, people. Well, I think no, that, no, that was I, based on a real story, though, right? I, Wasn't that based I, it on It just on a... seems so kind of like, wow, really? Yeah. I just, and then did, did you have an idea like, oh, the character's going to go and live there? Like, for Did you know oh, what was I, the story? I pitched like, uh, to AMC at Tokyo Lou. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite of the Wait, Fast and Furious movies. Wait, nobody else felt like that was kind of far-fetched? 
No. That Anna would, would go Anna, off to Japan to do that. No. No, because an animated company was over there. They liked the idea. Mm -hmm. Lou was pitching to Hanna Barbera, right. and, and uh, you know, right. well, I guess I, it what happened was yeah. Lou went to Japan, made an, you know a reference to Pearl Harbor. They fired him, so he opened up a geisha house. That's the backstory that you have. That's, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's what, what I, I was wondering. It's a shame we couldn't get that spin-off. Yeah. Um, Roger like Sterling it. would approve. Yes, he would. All right, finally we asked Pete to name the comic strip that was turned into a cartoon. Helen, what was Pete's answer? Pete said Lieutenant. Very clever, but was that correct, Alan? No, it was not. What was it called? Scout's Honor. <laughs> I know it! <laughs> Alan, where can people find you if they want to see your work as they should? Uh, AlanHavey.com. Mr. Alan Havey! Hey. Well, we hope you're having fun listening to this best of episode, but if we can get serious just for a moment, this has been a time of terrible loss for all of us, not just uh, a lot in our personal lives, but also for major pop culture figures who we've seen for a long time. Uh, one of the biggest people we lost last year was the beloved host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Mm, yeah. We open this show almost every episode with a nod to Jeopardy, and just about every game show or host stands on the shoulders of Alex Trebek and his accomplishments. And that's why we're particularly happy to bring you this segment we had with Louis Vertel. Uh, he's the host of the podcast Keep It, and he was a contestant on Jeopardy. We think you'll enjoy his showdown against Lorraine Newman as a loving tribute to such a great host and great man, especially when Louis tells us about the volcanically gay moment on Jeopardy that made him go viral. When you were on, you actually had a moment that went viral. Uh, if you want the truth, it's actually the most watched Jeopardy clip in history. But what? Yes, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do tell. Nah, I don't want the truth. I don't need to know. No, no, of course. Yes, tell us about that. Do tell. Uh, uh, I was behind in the double Jeopardy round, and I got, uh, it was an Arthur Miller category, and I got a daily double. I wagered close to everything. And then this thing happens when I get questions right, and I'm surprised to get them, where I become, shall we say, volcanically gay. <laughs> I was excited to get it, and I uh, just snapped on camera, like snapped my fingers, in a very in living color sort of, you know, uh, you know, sister sort of way. It caught on. It was within the frame, so it made a pretty good gif. Occasionally, I still see myself in BuzzFeed articles. <laughs> wow. I'm still trying to get past volcanically gay. Yeah. <laughs> as, opposed to, as opposed to, like, tornado-ly gay. Right. Yes, yes. No, his, his... Docile gay. Yes, <laughs> yes right. No. Hurricane-y gay. No, his, you know. his gay Beautiful. blocks the roads. Yes. Um, <laughs> my gay stars Anne Hayes in 1997. <laughs> His gay now, had a competing movie starring, <laughs> starring Pierce Brosnan. Um, now, now that's gay. Yeah. Alex Trebek can't host a show forever. Do you, have, do you have ideas for who you think should be the next host? I do want to say that I am angry that he can't host forever. Yeah, I truly yeah. think he's, he really is so he's, great. I think he's also in a way underrated on the show. Like yeah. People think he's, I don't know, pretentious or smug, but he really wants people to do their best. And I think as much as you give him personality, he gives it to you back. Mm. Really? I think he's awkward with awkward people. That's my, yeah. that's my harebrained theory. Okay. Um, Wait, what did he do with you in your volcanic gay moment? Well, he reacted to it. And then during the break, he, he came up to me and goes, where do you perform comedy? <laughs> as if he's going to show up to like FUBAR on a Wednesday night. <laughs> 
You never know. Stranger things have happened. But um, Bar- I will Bar- say, Bar's fun. I want um, Meredith Vieira to take over. She's my pick. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I thought she was brilliant on Millionaire. I thought she was brilliant. Yeah, I really liked her on Millionaire, too. Yeah. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Jeopardy to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. Okay. You know, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. Okay. Now, Lorraine, listen closely, because if Lewis answers incorrectly and you know the correct answer, you can steal. Lorraine, by the way, how much do you know about Jeopardy? Um, uh, I know fuck all about Jeopardy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, Lewis, here is your first question about Jeopardy. What television legend created Jeopardy and wrote its famous theme? The delectable Merv Griffin. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. I did not have delectable in my notes, but I'll, I'll accept that as well. Uh, number two, Alex Trebek has hosted every episode of Jeopardy since 1984, except for one. Who took over for one show in 1997? It was April 1st, and it was Pat Sajak. Helen? Wow, that's correct. That is correct. <laughs> Easy peasy. Uh, Alex hosted Wheel of Fortune and Pat Sajak hosted Jeopardy. I think we were running into a buzzsaw here with Mr. Bertel. <laughs> uh, here we go with question number three. Jeopardy had several incarnations before it reappeared in 1984. Right. In fact, in 1965, what future presidential candidate appeared on the show winning his only game? That's right. It was John McCain. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Shortly before he left to fight in Vietnam. Uh, number four, in 2001, Jeopardy added the Clue Crew, who travel the world shooting video clues. Of the four original crew members, two are still on the show. Name them. Okay, uh, I'm being sure this is right. Uh, I want to say it's Sarah, and let me think, hold on. You do have a, a hint available if you'd like to use it. I don't want to take it. All right. Ooh. And Jimmy. Sarah and Jimmy. Helen? That is correct. That yes. is correct. Yeah. Sarah Whitcomb Foss and Jimmy McGuire. The By ones the, who are no longer with the show are? Sophia and then a blonde-haired, I don't know, then that other woman uh, whose name is actually escaping me right now. Cheryl. Cheryl. Cheryl's the other one. Wow. Can I All say, right. by the way, when I was on the show and I was in the commissary just eating lunch, like you see the clue crew walking around, it is very <laughs> disillusioning. <laughs> Ron, they why? just walk among you? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, were they holding pandas? No, they, but, no, they were just, whatever, they were having, like, whatever pad thai was available, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's so pedestrian. All yeah. right, let's see if you can go five for five, Lewis. Number five, Saturday Night Live is famous for its Jeopardy sketches. Mm-hmm. In the first one they ever did, who portrayed the contestant at the middle position? Okay. Well, I mean, I want to say the first one had uh, Burt Reynolds, so I want to say it was... You do have a hint available. Okay. Like mm, all right, I'll take a hint. Helen, how about that hint? It was called Jeopardy 1999 and aired in 1976. Oh, okay, so really old Jeopardy, okay. Ooh. Oh, who played the... Con- Might it have been Lorraine Newman? Helen? That is correct! It is Lorraine Newman! <laughs> I'm sitting there going, God, I should remember this. Who was it? <laughs> I'm sorry we did not give you a chance to steal. Louis Fortel is five for five, ladies and gentlemen. That was so exhilarating, I could cry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see if you can go for the clean sweep here. The here crowd is now your... By the way, the crowd erupted like yeah. a volcano, guys. Yeah. We combined worlds. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. Okay. It is time for your cluster fact. Ooh. 
This question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The okay. answer is worth up to three points. The all-time record for one-day Jeopardy winnings was set in 2010 when a player won $77,000. That broke the previous record of $75,000, which was set in 2004. And that record broke a record that lasted for nearly 10 years, a $34,000 win in 1992, before the dollar values doubled. For up to three points, name these three record-breaking players. The most recent one is Roger Craig, who I've never met, and uh, I would like to. Uh, that was the $77,000 win. Then before that was Ken Jennings, who won 75000 And then before that, I do want... Uh, can you give me the year on that again? That year was 1992. Yeah. I think that's my friend Jerome Verrett, who's in front of me right now. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers, and we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have today? Here with us tonight, we have a writer who is also one of the all-time <laughs> winners of Jeopardy, Jerome Verrett. <laughs> 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 well, Jerome, I don't think we quite surprised uh, Louis Vertel. And here's one more piece of trivia. I saw Lorraine at the Hollywood primary that she used to do oh at uh, the Hollywood Roosevelt back in the early 80s. Oh, with political Chris satire. Guest and uh, Ed Begley Jr. And oh, my God, yeah. Yes. Wow. wow. World's Indeed. colliding again. We usually try to hide our experts in the room, but Louis spotted you eagle-eyed right uh, away. Well, Backstage, Louis said, oh, Jerome Verrett is here. <laughs> During the introductions, you said, oh, my friend Jerome is here. <laughs> During the cluster fact, you said, oh, and Jerome, who is right here. So, Jerome, we, welcome. Thanks. We were supposed to go to a trivia thing after this, but Lewis is blowing me off. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to tell Lewis he's wrong. How do, I how am do, the <laughs> trivia thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, how do you two know each other, Jerome? Uh, we met at a trivia thing, and then we've been playing uh, often on the same team at O'Brien's in Santa Monica. Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock, bring some friends. What? <laughs> Terrific. Which, by the way, I mean, again, I, I grew up thinking I was like, the number one trivia person I knew. Mm -hmm. Every week I go to O'Brien's, and I am outclassed by, I'm telling you, everybody. It is, wow. I, I hope no. everybody gets an experience where they are showing up that often and it's enriching. Yeah. I have that feeling whenever I go to karaoke in Los Angeles and I'm like, who are these freaking Motown bitches? <laughs> <laughs> where did you all come from? It's supposed to be for amateurs, damn it. Jerome, uh, you broke the, well, like, it's spoiled now, I guess. You, did, you were one of the record breakers. I was, yes. Uh, did you deliberately try to break the record when you realized it was in, within reach? At that point, no, because, well, the record, the record that had been set it was only about two years before, and that was just, I wanted to get up there. There was a chance for me to take the five-day at that point, but I ran the risk of not winning, so I just said, let Frank be famous. Frank Spangenberg, the cop. <laughs> they wanted to see a nice cop on, yeah. on Conan. Conan doesn't want me <laughs> on the show. Uh, and then you also participated in a very special tournament of champions that they had. Yes, yes, and in fact, I was a little upset because the guy who had, there were a few, once they doubled the money, it became a little more trivial to top 34,000, and there was a guy who had had it and ended up having it for about 14 months. I just did all the research before I came up here. Ooh. And they called me and said, oh, we want you to come onto this show. And I said, great, do I get seated like all these other people? I said, oh, no, 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 you don't. But I had the one-day record. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't give any special treatment. This was called, what was it, the, the, the Tournament of Champions it was of Champions? The ultimate, ultimate Tournament of Champions. And we have some players in the audience here who what? were on there, too. Pam Mueller, college champion winner. And I don't think maybe 
the only one who showed up, but there was supposed to be more. So, uh, so there is a nice camaraderie amongst uh, former champions. On the surface, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they're seething with jealousy that they didn't get to be the answer to a question. Oh, the Schadenfreude is palpable. Oh, it's strong. It's palpable. You can cut your teeth yeah. on that Schadenfreude. Uh, but I mentioned that I, mentioned I sometimes the... want to be harder than that Schadenfreude. But yeah. thank God for yeah pharmaceuticals. So, so you entered this ultimate tournament of champions. There's, I think, about 144 players who who wow yes seated, you know yes. Who, who, Got the chance to face Ken Jennings in the, in the final, yeah. and you made it to the final. Yes, I did, and both of us were beaten horribly by Brad Rutter. <laughs> so, wow! <laughs> but it was fun, and we got lots of money. Great! It was also an amazing tournament to watch, and I think a lot of it is on YouTube if you're so inclined. You still watch as well, I presume? Oh yes. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked of Lewis. We wanted to know who were the all-time one-day champions, who had the most recent record, whose record did that break, and whose record did that break. Helen, remind everyone of the answers that Lewis gave us. Lewis said Roger Craig, Ken Jennings, and Jerome Varid. Well, Roger held the record for seven years and nine months, still going. Ken for six years and three months. And I for just three weeks short of 10 years. So, yes. so in other words, Lewis is correct. Lewis is, Lewis well, is correct. Yes. Lewis, yes, Lewis is correct. Lewis, a perfect score on Yay. today's episode of Go Fact Yourself. Jerome Varey, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with more Go Fact Yourself and the best of TV right after this. Helen, I don't have to tell you that this has been a stressful time for lots of people, and yet I just did. You know, one thing that I found to help take the edge off is CBD, but I don't like how some CBD oils and creams can take over an hour to absorb, and it's hard to get an accurate measurement. So thank goodness for Caliper CBD Powder. It's easy. It dissolves quickly and is fast-acting. I can get all the benefits of CBD in just 10 minutes from convenient 20-milligram packs. You can put it in just about anything. I like stirring the powder into a cup of hot tea. And it's zero calories and zero carbs. Caliper CBD powder is always THC-free, so I can feel better without the high. And speaking of feeling better, I actually had a very unexpected use for Caliper CBD after I got my second dose of vaccine. Like a lot of people, I was left with this general soreness all over. And that's a small price to pay for getting vaccinated against a deadly virus. But still, I tried Caliper CBD and I felt less achy and was able to have a pretty smooth recovery. So whether I've had a stressful day, been sitting in a chair too long, or enjoying the miracle of science confronting a worldwide pandemic, I like Caliper CBD powder to help calm me down and ease the soreness and discomfort of the day. And I think our listeners might like it too, especially with a discount. Helen? Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code GOFACT at tricaliper.com slash GOFACT. That's tricaliper, C-A-L-I-P-E-R dot com slash GOFACT. You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they will give you a full refund. That's tricaliper.com slash GOFACT. Don't forget promo code Go fact for 20% off your first order. Thank you, Caliber CBD. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. 
Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we're all trying to eat better, but healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Thank goodness there's Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has all the amazing flavors that you love, but without all the bad stuff. And there's so much good stuff. Helen, tell them about the good stuff. There's zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, 140 calories, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. But it is full of flavor. And Magic Spoon has released a new flavor, birthday cake. And it is so delicious. Birthday Cake Magic Spoon is available with a special five-pack for a limited time only. So get it while you can. Or build your own box with cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, or cinnamon. Oh, it is so good. And Helen, I've discovered the new thing of mixing up flavors of Magic Spoons. What's your favorite flavor combo? It was recommended to me to try cocoa with peanut butter to get kind of a peanut butter cup flavor. And uh, that was a recommendation I was very glad to listen to. But uh, you cannot go wrong with any of the mixtures of flavors. I sincerely love this stuff, and I'm so happy that they sponsor the show. And you'll be happy to try it, especially with some sort of a discount. Helen, what's that about? Yeah, go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab the new limited edition birthday cake or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, and they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact with promo code gofact. Also, my cat really enjoys the box. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you Magic, Magic Spoon. The 2021 pin sale has begun. Thank you so much to everyone who participated in the Max Fun Drive. This is the last year for a while that we'll be doing pins for Max Fun Drive, and the fifth year that we'll be selling pins and donating all proceeds to charity. The past year proved what we already knew that having access to the internet at home is a necessity for work, school, healthcare, and keeping in touch with family and friends. So the proceeds from this year's pin sale will go towards Everyone On, a nonprofit working to bridge the digital divide. We're grateful that with your support, we'll be able to help low-income folks gain access to affordable computers, internet services, and digital literacy programs. The sale will run until May 28th. Folks at the $10 monthly level and above will have access to all of the pins from the drive. That's 38 pins, one from every show on the network. We also have a special 2021 Max Fun Drive pin that all members can purchase. Go to MaximumFun.org slash pin sale for more info. And to learn more about Everyone On and support them directly, you can go to EveryoneOn.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself and our Best of TV special. As we've gone through over a year of pandemic and quarantine, it can be hard to maintain connections with people who don't live with us. And that's why people like Allison Rosen are so important right now. She's the host of the podcast, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, which I've been a guest on. 
plug, plug. That <laughs> podcast shows how great she is at being funny, but also really warm in a way that makes people open up to her. Yeah, and maybe she got a little bit of that funny warmth from spending so much time watching The Facts of Life. It's a theory I'm working on. <laughs> Anyhow, here she is in her competition against our friend Jordan Morris, showcasing her love of the classic show. Allison, here's your first question about The Facts of Life. On what popular sitcom did the character Mrs. Garrett first appear before she got her own spinoff, The Facts of Life? She initially appeared on Different Strokes. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. One point there. Question number two. In a very special episode, who was the first of Mrs. Garrett's girls to lose her virginity? Ooh, that would be Natalie to her boyfriend, Snake. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Her boyfriend's name was Snake? Yes, played by Robert Romanus, I think is his name, who was in Fast Times. What? Oh, yes, yes yeah. the, the ticket broker guy, the, the sleazy guy. Yeah, the sleazy yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. All right. And she's like, come over here, Snake. <laughs> like, he was on, he was her long, well, not maybe not long-term boy, long boyfriend, but he was on a number of episodes, Ooh. or referred to on another number of and episodes. did she call him Snake? Yeah, that was his name. Yeah. Snake. Okay, yeah. all right. Question number three. For several seasons, the opening credits showed Nancy McKeon as Joe holding a card with the name of a Shakespeare play. Which one? I remember the card said the Merry Wives of Windsor. You're going to go with that? Yeah. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. All right. <laughs> I was in that in college. You were? Yeah. Who'd you play? Pistol. I was bad. <laughs> Forsooth. Yeah. Uh, you're three for three. Here's question number four. After leaving the school, Edna started a business called Edna's Edibles, which was destroyed in a fire. After the fire, she and the ladies started a new business that sold novelty items like inflatable penguins. What was the name of that business? Over Our Heads. Ellen? Wow, that, that is, is correct. That is correct, yep. Mm. You really are a super fan. Thank you. Yes, yes. I am. Now, the you... girls claimed, yeah. the actresses claimed that that was the most fun set because there was all sorts of stuff to play with. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird stuff. Mm. I remember stores like that in the yes. where they just had crap. Yeah. It was just disposable neon fluorescent crap. Right. Yeah. Like bendy pens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I don't know if we're giving you much of a challenge, but let's see how we do with question number five. Blair had an older sister, Meg, who we saw in two episodes. She was played by an actor who had starred in another of the most beloved sitcoms of all time. Who was it? Oh, my gosh. You do have a hint available. I'm going to take my hint. Helen, how about that first hint? The sitcom was The Brady Bunch. Oh, oh, Eve Plum. Helen? That is correct. That's correct. It was Eve Plum. Good use of the hints. She, of course, played Jan Brady on The Brady Bunch. Yes. Uh, fun fact, while rehearsing a fight scene, Eve Plum accidentally punched Lisa Welchell in the face. Wow. She said it was an accident, but yeah, come on. Yeah. Uh, all right, Blair again. Had, Blair had that punchable face, yeah, though. Yeah, she kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Allison Rosen is five for five. This is a really good game. Great both game. Of you, you guys are really, really know bringing your stuff. it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now here is your expert level question, Allison, that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Mm. Oh, you guys are so well-trained. It's better every time. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Here we go. You cannot think of the facts of life without remembering its theme song. For up to three points, name one of the composers who wrote the theme song, name the lead singer of the theme song for the show's first season, and name the lead singer of the theme song for the show's remaining eight seasons. Alan Thicke. The Alan Thick was one of the composers. All right. Charlotte Ray sang it in the first season, mm -hmm. and Gloria Loring sang it after that. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. 
Such, no. I don't know if that's right. Such confidence. I know. I felt confident. Yeah. Is this marketable in any way? Because. <laughs> yeah, what do we get if we win this podcast? <laughs> no, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> no hesitation. Wow. I really thought it would take a lot to get these right. Uh, we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have? Here with us tonight is an actor, singer, and songwriter who co-wrote and sang the theme song to the Facts of Life, ah! Lori Lori. Gloria and Allison embracing. Welcome, Gloria Loring. This is so exciting for me. <laughs> this is so exciting for me. It's exciting for everybody. <laughs> you are amazingly knowledgeable about the show. Thank you. You really are. <laughs> See, I, I wrote the theme song with Alan. Alan, and I, Alan wrote more of it than I did because I was newer to songwriting. But we were married for 16 years. And um, we, we, we wrote the Different Strokes theme. And then a year later, they started with Facts of Life. And we wrote that one. But the first year, they had Charlotte sing it. You were exactly right. And then they decided they wanted to look. She you take the good, you take the bad, you take the bad. <laughs> so they wanted something a little more pop. So I came in and did, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have. Wow. <laughs> A little more country, countryized version of it, but but it was so much fun. It, I love that theme song because it's been bringing me mailbox money for thirty some years. <laughs> yes. yes, mailbox money is the best of that the money. That is pretty good money. The best money in the world. <laughs> now, how much? How how well did you know the show? Like, could you have done well in that quiz as well? No, I I would not have done because when when the show went on, Different Strokes went on in 79, or wait, no. Uh, Facts of Life went on in 79. Facts of Life in 79. I think 79. And I had two little boys under five years old, and one of mine was diagnosed with diabetes. And a year later, I got cast on Days of Our Lives. So I was working on a soap opera and with two little boys. Wow. And there was no time to watch television. <laughs> so I was very pleased the show was a hit, but I, I don't think I ever saw two episodes in all the shows <laughs> it was on. What? But you've what? seen them since then. A little bit here and there, but and I know. And recently, we had a little reunion on a television show, and Charlotte Ray was there for her 90th birthday. We got to celebrate <gasps> wow. her, and several of the cast members were there. And I sang the full version. Mm -hmm. There's actually a three, two and a half, three minute version of the Facts of Life with all these extra lyrics. So wow. that and never got recorded. Wait, so. what song was that again? <laughs> the Facts of Life. And how does it go? <laughs> Helen is pimping our expert guest for uh, Instagram Live or something. <laughs> Go ahead. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. Ah! The facts of life. Ah! Yeah, again, she did it. <laughs> she did it. That's too much fun. I apologize and I thank you. Um, you also had a number one hit song that you did not write, but that you, that you performed called Friends and Lovers. Friends and Lovers with Carl Anderson. That's do you right. remember that one? Yes. Some of you do. Well, that was, that was in 1986. And that was, Alan and I were married for 16 years. And the year that Friends and Lovers hit number one all over North America was also the same year as my divorce. Oh. <laughs> There was a little bit so of So you were only going to be one of those at that point. Oh, well, yeah. going to be friends. <laughs> no, true. actually, we wound up being very good friends. And when he passed a year and a half ago, it was a huge hit for all of us. Mm. And, and for me, too, because 
Alan was always there. He was like the center of the family, you know. He was so important to all of us, so. Yeah, and obviously to a very much lesser degree, but I've, over the years I've done several different shows that Alan uh, had, had guest starred on, was always incredible and gracious. And Oh, he was, I stayed well. married to him five years longer than I should have because he was so funny. <laughs> oh, I would be so angry with him, and then he'd just start making me laugh. And it would <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, your family and that you had two sons. One of those sons is Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke, yes, yes, Blurred Lines. Yeah. I... Yes. I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, was he influenced by your singing career? Actually, he, he told me years ago, because, you know, he had a very talented dad who sang some and was very comedic and all of that and a good writer. And, but years ago, I did four concert tours of Australia, and I flew Robin and Brennan, my two sons, over, and they were 9 and 11 at the time. And Robin saw me on stage every night. And a few years ago, he said, you know, Mom, it's your fault I'm an entertainer. <laughs> because I saw you on stage every night and the way the audience acted. And I said, oh, that's what I want to do. Wow. And that's what he does. Wow. And he's good at it, too. Yeah, he is. Uh, you have a new recording project that you're working on. Uh, tell yeah, us about that. Yeah, it's called Rise. I'm working with Ted Perlman, who's a master musician. And we've been working for a couple years off and on and have it almost done, finally. Cool. You've got some great songwriters that you're doing material um, Yeah, we've got a beautiful new song from Burt Bacharach, uh, Antonio Kay, and uh, Robin and I wrote a couple songs oh, on it. Fun. And Robin sings some background vocals. And it's, it's really quite a good piece of work. That's terrific. You've also got a book that's out now. Tell us about that. I have a book that's been out for a couple years. It's called Coincidence is God's Way of Remaining Anonymous, <laughs> a quote by Albert Einstein, and it's about a series of extraordinary coincidences that changed my life and how you can use coincidence for your own good. Wow, that's I wonderful. I love coincidences. Yeah. That's awesome. It's I actually know, a coincidence fun. that you're here tonight. You're not, you, you weren't planning, you just happened to be in town I just happened to be driving by Angels No, that's Road. not what I... They flagged me down. They said, wait, isn't that Gloria Loring? And I said, what, what? I was trying to help. But it's okay. uh, all right, not that we necessarily need to, but as a formality, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far yes. as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked Allison that really seemed to stump her for about a nanosecond. Yes. Uh, we wanted to know from Allison uh, who were the composers of the theme song. Helen, what did Allison say? Allison said Alan Thicke. And is that correct, yes. Ms. Loring? That is correct. Uh, there are actually three people listed on the copyright. One is Alan Thicke, one is me, Gloria Loring, and the other is Albert, who was actually an executive executive did not participate in the actual writing but got to put his name on it anyway. Uh, but he's dead so I can tell that story. Yay. <laughs> I'm being a rascal. <laughs> we love it. Uh, next, of course, we wanted to know who was the lead singer in the first season of the show. Helen, what did Allison say? Allison said Charlotte Ray. And Ms. Loring, we now know that is? You take a good, you take there you a go. bad, you take a bold, and there you have. That, 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 there was also a demo, apparently, where Julia Child sang the theme song. <laughs> That's another point for Allison. And then finally, we asked Allison who was the lead singer for the show's remaining eight seasons. Helen, what did Allison say? Allison said Gloria Loring. And, and she got it right. She got it right. Three points. A clean sweep for Allison Rosen. Allison, now that we have Gloria Loring here, anything you'd like to ask her? 
How did Charlotte Ray feel about being replaced? Ooh, good you question. You know what? I don't know. She never said anything to me. I met her. She was most gracious. But of course, this is 30 years later. I don't. She was a star of the show. I don't think it affected her at all. You know, and she was not known for her singing. She was known as a comedic actress, and she was fabulous. She really was. She was. Yeah. Now, people want to know more about you. Uh, want to find your work or see you uh, I am at the shows? usual GloriaLoring.com, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and at Gloria Loring and all of that good stuff. Excellent. Well, well, certainly good stuff to have you here. I'm very, very pleased, very excited, and, and very happy to have met you. Miss Gloria Loring, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Finally, let's wrap up with Glenn Weldon showing off his knowledge of a show that we can always lose ourselves in, RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag Race, coincidentally, was actually one of the few shows that was able to find some workarounds to continue filming in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, in fact, they just put out a special documentary on VH1 that showcased how they pulled it off. So while you watch the newest season, remember that Glenn Weldon is watching along with you. Maybe even standing behind you. (laughs) Creepy. A little creepy. Here he is showing off his knowledge of Luke's against Cara Santamaria. (laughs) Work it. Question number one for Glenn Weldon. RuPaul's Drag Race started airing on one network owned by Viacom and later switched to another network owned by Viacom. Name either of these networks. Uh, Logo. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It started on Logo and then switched to Video Hits 1 prior to the ninth season. I couldn't help you out before because I knew that was a question coming up, but you started to mention uh, that it was on VH1. Uh, All right, number two. Which former American Idol finalist and YouTube personality has appeared as a guest judge on the show and choreographed the dazzling performance of Kitty Girl in All Stars 3? Oh, boy. You do Uh, have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Let me take the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? His first name kind of rhymes with the star of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Todrick Hall. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Todd I didn't recall. even get, I got two words into the hint yeah, and yeah. you knew it. No, yes. I just, I, it occurred to me as you were beginning to speak. Uh, yes. That's how like, good of a hint it was, I Helen. I was like, Wasted wow, food. my hint giving is amazing. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, here's question number three. You are two for two. Everybody loves a winner, but some runners-up are also beloved. Which queen was a runner-up on both the second season of RuPaul's Drag Race and the second season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars? The second season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Um, can I get a hint? Helen, how about that second hint? Nevermore. Raven. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Uh. It is Raven. <laughs> Used up those two hints right away. We'll see if you can uh, yeah. clean sweep on the way. <laughs> Glenn, you are three for three. Here's question number four. The prizes for winners of the show have changed and improved over the years. But in season one, contestants won a lifetime supply of what company's cosmetics or how much prize money? I think it was 15000 but it was definitely MAC. Mac Ellen? Cosmetics. That is correct. That is correct. It was MAC. The prize money was $20,000. $20,000 with MAC. They've gone on to different cosmetics uh, sponsoring yep. it uh, since then. Your 444, here's question number five. As of this taping, in the lip sync battles, contestants have performed songs by RuPaul 14 times. Coming in second place at six times is which recording artist? Okay. This, this I should be able to deduce this. Because game men are predictable. Um, <laughs> also because you're a person of science. Kira, Kira demonstrated <laughs> that as well. Give us some of that sweet, sweet stem. I, could it be Selena? It's either Selena or Whitney. I'm going to say Whitney. Whitney Houston. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. I'm sorry, Kara, with a chance to steal. Share. Helen? That is not correct. Not share. No, the correct answer is Britney Spears. Britney Britney Spears Spears. has had her songs (laughs) lip sync to six times, 
Only four songs. They did two of them twice. Yeah. Uh, still, you did very well in that round, Glenn. And here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Mm. That grew and then got weird. <laughs> it is worth three points. As we record this, we are just a few weeks away from the premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 4. But how well do you remember All-Stars 3? For up to three points, who was the winner of All-Stars 3? Who did she beat out in the final lip-sync battle? And to what song did she lip-sync? Okay. Uh, I am going to get this wrong because the there's, there's been a lot of seasons and they blend. Um <laughs> This would have been the most recent season of All Stars. All Stars three, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking of I'm, I, I'm thinking of um, song was I'm Every Woman. I'm Every Woman is yeah. the song. Okay, it's not. Wasn't, but fine. <laughs> okay, the first runner up you asked, and then the yes, winner. Yes, the, the, the first runner up and the winner. Man, I'm going down the flames here. So let's say let's let's say it was Peppermint and as the runner up and. Let's just say Vixen. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Vixen. <laughs> nope. So uh, if you just give us an order, who won, who was the runner-up, and what was the song? Vixen, but not. Uh, Peppermint, Peppermint. Not, wrong, not wrong. And I'm everyone wrong. All, all wrong. <laughs> but I know it. Does that make a difference? <laughs> Does it? A little bit. The audience appreciates the confidence. That's right. It's, ref- it's refreshing when someone is confident in their wrongness in yeah, this culture. Yeah, right. All right. Helen has taken note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight, we have an actor, singer, songwriter, and TV host known to fans of RuPaul's Drag Race as drag queen Trixie Mattel. It's (laughs) Brian Furkus. Brian Furkus. A warm hug from Brian to Glenn. Oh. Glenn hanging his head in. Oh, yes. oh, you started God. so strong. Oh, did I? Mm, uh. <laughs> Brian, how are you? Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. I'm really good. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, Brian, how did you come up with the character and the name of Trixie Mattel? Well, I was always obsessed with, I wasn't allowed to play with dolls or Polly Pockets or anything. I was obsessed with girl toys. And then when I started doing drag, I was reading books that, like in the 60s. They used to take this little orange, you know, plastic head and paint it to look like a person. And that's when I was like, I want to be a, I don't want to look like a man or a woman. I want to look like a toy. Mm. And then my stepdad used to call me a Trixie whenever I was acting too, like, emotional or feminine. Mm-hmm. And then I just used, I took back the night back. Yeah. Reclaim it. Yeah. Reclamation is the theme yeah. maybe for tonight. We'll see. Yeah. That's reclamation. Yeah. Uh, did you go through different incarnations of, of, of the look for Trixie? I mean, in the beginning, it was, like, throwing darts. Also, in the beginning, you're doing drag in a way where you're, like, desperate for money. Mm-hmm. So you're, mm-hmm. like, you know, wiggling for bachelorettes on a Tuesday night. <laughs> So you know, budget you're, drag. You're pulling out like 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 celebrity illusions or like. But then I started. I, there was a point where I was like, I'm just going to do all blonde, all pink, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and where did that eye makeup come from? It's very uh, uh bold, let us say. Yeah, it, so if you guys Google or Instagram, it takes up like half my head. Yeah. <laughs> the other day, I saw a picture of myself getting ready, and I was like, I should have gone into real estate or something. This is crazy. <laughs> this has gotten out of hand. Yeah, it would look good with a gold jacket, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, but like on toys, like if you look at a Barbie, her head's this big, and her eyes are huge. Yeah. She look crazy, and that's what I wanted to look like. Yeah. Crazy. How long does it take you to get into the drag? It's a lot, but like an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, I've been doing it like 10 years. Yeah. That's so. how long this took me. I know. <laughs> yeah. Women wow. tell me all like the time. I barely have makeup on. Like, Women what? tell me they're like, it takes me like that much too. So. <gasps> Seriously? From like the shower, shaving to in full drag, it's like hour and a half. No. Wow. What? Including shower and shave? What? Yeah. 
And Wait, so, but you're, it's just because you've been doing it for so long that you're like, shh, 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 shh. oh, I'm like a sleeper soldier now. Like, I don't even have to think about it, you know? What I mean? <laughs> and I never want to get in drag either. So then I sit down, I'm like mad. <laughs> but then once I'm in drag, I'm like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> That's great. What was it like being on RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, it was great uh, the last time, but the first, I lost twice before I won. Mm. Mm. So it's more fun to win. <laughs> it's less humiliating. You get money, you get a crown, all that. Yeah. yeah. But it's really hard. You know, like if you watch like, I mean, if you watch like Top Model or Project Runway, they're like, here's your one thing you have to do. On Drag Race, they're like, you have to make the dress, mm -hmm. dance and sing in it. You know, go talk about your dead mom. And then, you know, there's, drag queens are like Swiss Army knives. You have to do so much stuff. <laughs> The and, uh, quote of the episode. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Wait, do you um do you wear like intense undergarments? Yo, yeah, it's awful. I, I mean, it's full torture. It's steel bone corset, mm. and then padding all the way over my hips and my butt and everything. So you have that crazy, and then it's a stuffed bra, mm -hmm. and then full body like arm makeup, chest makeup. Oh, it's I forget it's about awful. the arm makeup. And then no. the hair, the hair. I wear really big, like four, five, six wigs stacked on each other. <gasps> And then I have a shaved head too, so they have to like sort of um, wrap them under my head and then the pulling, you get migraines sometimes. Oh. There was a year where I was at RuPaul's DragCon LA and I had seven wigs on and I got a migraine and threw up. Oh. And then I had to go hug more teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because when I was growing up, I never knew any teenagers who, who saw drag queens as role models. That is part of why Drag Race is so cool because it reaches everybody because drag used to be like you'd have to go at 1 a.m. in a gay bar to see drag queens and now you can just... DVR it. Mm -hmm. Or TiVo if you're old school. I actually was told recently by a parent of a middle schooler that there is a huge, like, children's following of... It's crazy. Yeah. I would say at my shows, you know, like, the first three, four, five rows are, like, teen girls. I, I, and, I, like, really because, young, like, middle school age. Yeah, like, really young. I think it's because that's the age where, for young women, the world is starting to say, this is what a woman looks like, mm. and you need to look like that. And I think we are just walking, like, protest to that, sort mm. of. But not only girls, boys as well. Oh, boys, too, yeah. 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 But I think with drag with women, too, it's, like, it's equal parts a celebration of, of femininity and, like, the frills and the fun of it, and equal parts breaks the law of, like, you don't also don't have to look like this. This mm -hmm. is crazy. Yeah. Like, with Trixie, the waist is so small and the hair is so big. Like, if you look at this and see a woman, it kind of says more about what society has told you they look mm. like. Yeah. Because I look crazy. <laughs> if by crazy you mean fierce and awesome. Yeah, but the best thing about doing a dragon podcast is you don't have to dress up. So you can yeah. just elaborate. I don't know. Our listeners think you're totally decked out. I, mean. yeah. I just want the listeners to know I'm wearing an elaborate gown. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. look incredible. And I you can't guys believe are all you got up those too. stairs in those, in those five foot heels. That was incredible. And you guys are all in drag. You guys all look so good. Oh, thank you so much. You know, you. I just can't believe like the waist shaping to me is the most intense and that's how you get a man's body to look that hourglassy. I mean, yeah. do you do you think that you've rearranged your internal organs at this point? Well, there's a real thing to that. Like Violet Chachki, she won season seven of Drag Race. She did corset training so she would live in a corset 23 hours a day. <gasps> oh. So her waist, when she has the corset on, like on television, there's a runway where she her waist was 18 inches. <gasps> and she's a grown man, 25 years old. 18 inches. <laughs> that's Now, mean. I don't do all that. <laughs> And but, apparently you don't need to because you yeah. do so well just to, And you got to pick your battles, too. Like, yeah. some drag gigs, you're like, I'm going to give them the potato sack dress and the panties. <laughs> and like, that's it. 
Uh, your success from uh, Drag Race has led to a web series, which, which led to your own show. Tell us about the Trixie and Katya show. Yes, we did a web We did like 60 episodes of a web series called... Uh, which I was also going to ask how you pronounce that. I did not want to say it. It was definitely a choice to pick a name that like you can't really... I don't even know how it's spelled. <laughs> but I wanted to they were like, you can't call it that. No one's going to know what to look for. And two weeks into it, I was like, really? Because everyone's watching it. <laughs> Wait, say it again? Yeah, it's called... Uh, Mm. <laughs> it's more of a noise and yeah. a feeling and an attitude. Yeah, well, our listeners Whatever. can't see that you. whenever you say that, your hands kind of move down, your chest <laughs> yeah. down to the... Uh, yeah. Like, goop exists. Right. So, like... <laughs> true, true. We could just call it whatever. Mm, and then tea. we went to... We, we moved to Viceland, and we started our show, The Trixie and Katya Show, which is basically that. That's nice. great. Uh, awesome. Well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight uh, as far as our game goes. Uh, Glenn, it's okay. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Oh. It's totally it's not fine. fine. <laughs> it's not fine. We'll see what happens. <laughs> At least he knew he was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, let's uh, let's get through this I formality. I knew it was bad when he was like, what's the drag queen's name? And he's like, Stephanie. Like, it was uh, just yes. like normal weird name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked of Glenn. Helen, let's remind everyone of the answers. First, we asked Glenn, who was the winner of All Stars 3? What did Glenn say? Glenn said peppermint. Nope. <laughs> hold, hold, nope. It was me, Trixie Mattel. It was you, Trixie Mattel. <laughs> Next, we asked Glenn, who did Trixie Mattel beat in the final round? Helen, what did Glenn say? Glenn said Vixen. Hey, Glenn, you want to say nope again? Yeah, what? nope. Okay, <laughs> and Brian? It's, oh. it's exultantly wrong. Vixen was on season nine of Drag Race, and I was on All Stars, and I beat uh, Kennedy Davenport. Kennedy Davenport, yes. all right, so no points there. And then finally, uh, Helen, we asked Glenn, what was the song that you lip-synced to to win the championship? Helen, what did Glenn say? Glenn said, I'm every woman. And, Brian? That is a good guess. It's a solid guess. That's a good guess. It was Miley Cyrus' Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball, no points there. I'm sorry, Glenn. Same song. Same song. Uh, Glenn, is there anything you'd like to ask or apologize to Brian while we have him here? That's A, apologize. B, how many times, how many takes of the Kitty Girl video did you guys do? Only two. You're kidding. I'm dead serious. It's a a continuous cut. It's like one long take, right? If you want an introduction to Drag Race, go to All Stars 3 and watch the finale. We do a dance production number that is all one take. Wow. Amazing. Wild. And I understand it was choreographed by Todd Rick Hall. Yes. Yes, it is. is. I should have known that. I will say it's crazy that you remember details of season one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You are. Your brain picks and chooses. It's yeah, absolutely. It's all just uh, Brian, if people want to find out more about you or Trixie Mattel, where can they go? You can find me on every platform at, at Trixie Mattel, except Pokemon Go, because somebody got the name. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly happy that we got you. Yeah. Brian Fergus, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Brian. And that wraps up this Best Of episode. Make sure to check out our other Best Of episodes, which cover the topics of baseball and music, in your podcast feed or at our website, gofactorpod.com. And of course, check out our new episodes every first and third Friday, wherever you get podcasts. In the meantime, let us know what your favorite segments have been so we can include them in an upcoming Best Of episode. Tweet us at gofactorpod or go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Today's episode was edited and produced by the one and only Julian Burrell. Our live recordings were engineered by Dave McKeever. Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Ben Stratton and comes to you via transcription. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go watch even more TV. Yeah, if it's possible. <laughs>